I was thinking this week of an experience that I um, probably, like many of you, have had. Uh, um, I, I was thinking it was back in about uh, seventh or eighth grade when, when they were going to have this total eclipse. In fact, they kind of came up with, they come up with a song. Somebody came up with songs about that, and they played off that, and it came up like total eclipse of the heart. Um, but they're going to have this eclipse of the, of the moon or that, and they had this, um, they were warning all of us that you couldn't look at it and that we were going to be blinded if we did, and they were going to poke a hole in a paper and you're going to look at this. Do you remember that? Yeah. Probably back in the 70s. And, and it was just a big thing. In fact, they wouldn't let us out of our classrooms because they were so afraid, the school was so afraid that somehow somebody was going to be blinded. And, and so, you know, all of this thing that, that, that only happens every how many years? Huh? Hundred and or uh, it was it was uh, hundred two hundred years at that time, hundred and fifty years something that was just so extraordinary. And then they and then they wouldn't let us see it. And then we've had you know this thing that happens every one hundred fifty years. And I, I guess there's different kinds, but we've had like three of them since then. Um, but uh, and I know they're different, uh, but that's not the point. But it, the, the incredible thing is that, that everybody wanted to be out there and they wanted to see this thing in the sky and. And you got these images, that the image in my mind is everybody who's, you know, you know how it goes. They tell you not to do it and you want to do it. You know, everybody's looking up, where is it, where is it? And they're not using their papers and, and, and stuff. But I just, it's, it's really one of these times, I think, at least in, in my mind, um, where I've got this image in my mind of people who are looking up into the sky. And I just want you to hold that image there for a little bit. They're just all kind of kind of just looking up into the sky and just wanting to see this marvelous thing. And, uh, well, if you've been with us this past few weeks, I, I, this is kind of a, this, this uh, sermon series we've been looking at is uh, we've, we've been on this journey, and we've been in the book of, of uh, the Psalms, and we've been particularly looking at Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and, and you know, there's 150 Psalms, and, and oftentimes we call them the, the Psalms of David, but uh, we all know they're not all written by David, right? Um, but the Psalms are Israel's hymn book, right? And the particular Psalms that we're looking at, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And, and, and these are, uh, or maybe even you would say they're the Songs of Ascent and, because they were used by the Israelites. They were used as they were making their journey toward Jerusalem for this celebration. Uh, they, they did this three times a year during the feast and they would make this this. this uh, this trip, they would be heading towards Jerusalem, and Jerusalem being the highest point, uh, that they would sing, the, they would be heading there, and they would sing these songs of ascent. And they made the journey from wherever they left, uh, wherever they lived, up to Jerusalem. And and as they climbed, as they ascended, they sang these particular songs. And these psalms basically became their songs. It became the hymn book of the Israelite people. It became their travel music as they journeyed. But but these songs. Is that we've been talking about? They would have been they would have been shared. Uh, they would have been sung generation after generation after generation as these pilgrims uh, traveled to Jerusalem. And the image is is that of pilgrims that, that are traveling year after year after year toward Jerusalem. And all along the way, they just kind of they kind of reach a fork in the road, and then they pick up a couple fellow travelers, and they keep going. And this it, it becomes this uh, big caravan, if you will, um, as they as they journey or they make this annual trek towards Jerusalem. And and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 123, and so I invite you to turn there to Psalm 23. Uh, we really don't know 
as far as 123, the, this, this one here, we don't know historically. We're not really entirely sure uh, where this psalm comes from, what era, what period of time. And, 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 but, but remember that in the, in a, this is a songbook. This is part of a songbook. And uh, it's put together, and they took this, uh, these songs, they took them from various points in their history, Israel did, and, and these songs, were, they were written at different times. They were, they were written at different places, and, and, and they took them, and they put them together in a kind of a binder, so to speak, and they, they seem to be, the, they, they put these together, the, the, the songs that seem to be the most relevant songs to apply to their pilgrimage. And so this psalm, this one right here, we, we kind of have a couple of ideas where, when it was probably written. I mean, it could have been written when Israel was in captivity in Babylon. It could have been. Right? That certainly is a possibility. The other possibility, and the one I actually believe because of some of the language that's used in this psalm, is that it could have been written during the times or the days of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, when the Jews returned to their, to their land and they found uh, it inhabited by Samaritans and by Edomites who were, who were just filled with contempt for the people of God. And, and in any case, Psalm, Psalm 123 is a prayer for deliverance. And, and, the, and this image that you have as you read this psalm is really one of, a, of this traveler, of this pilgrim who is, who is really struggling. This is someone who is, who is really fretting. It, it, he, he's, he's at the end of his rope. She's at the end. Uh, you know, it, it, it's an emo- there, he's emotionally spent because he's being mocked at. He's being scoffed at by arrogant people who have just absolutely no concern for God. It's a plea for mercy. The psalmist looks to God for mercy. Martin Luther, by the way, just he called this psalm the deep sigh of a pained heart. The deep sigh of a pained heart. When you're oppressed, when you're persecuted, when you, when you just don't know what to do when you when you just had have had enough when you're up to your eyeballs in all this stuff Psalm 123 encourages you to look to the Lord to look up to the Lord to put yourself in God's hands and to trust him to do what is best let's I just want to take a look at that Psalm 123 if you have your Bibles open there Psalm 123 the psalmist says I lift up my eyes to you to you whose throne is in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of, their, of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for, for we have endured much contempt. We have endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. I, I think that those last two verses, or the last verse there really sums it up. We have endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. And, and maybe we can relate to that because we live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to any expression of faith. Uh, from comedians to talk show hosts to the, the news media, it just seems that there's just this, this blatant disregard for, for biblical truth. And what's more, if you stand up for your faith, if you stand up for the truth, you can be, you will be shut down, you will be mocked, you will be treated with contempt. The world just responds, it seems, more and more so with hostility and with hatred and anger. I mean, is it any wonder that Christians 
are so hesitant to share God's truth today. But, but listen to these scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 22, he said, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He said to us in, in John 15, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And then he says, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, that is the why the world hates you. Now, of course, he was right. He was speaking that to his disciples, but but he he says as much of us is that he has chosen us as well. And in fact, what he said in Matthew chapter five in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, "Blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad." He says, "Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets." who were before you. I, you know, I don't, I don't think any of us have probably had to suffer like any of the prophets. Um, I haven't seen that. I, I don't think that we've had to endure what this, the disciples of Jesus and other Christians in the New Testament you know, had to endure. I'm quite sure that we probably, that, that none of us have maybe had to, for our faith, had to, to endure what, what here, here a couple weeks ago, they just released this fellow, Pastor Brunson, who had been in, in Turkey, and he'd been, he'd been there in, under, um, in, in a prison there for two years, and, and they finally, through a lot of, lot of uh, um, negotiations and things like that, finally were able to, uh, to release him from that. I, you know, we, we haven't seen that in our own lives, but... But I do think that we understand. I do think that we identify with the spirit of this psalm. I do think that we can empathize with what the psalmist was feeling when he wrote this. And this is certainly, I think, a psalm for our times. It's, it's just four verses long, but, and yet this is just packed with, it's packed in this short psalm of ascent with this message that we are to trust in the Lord. I was thinking of an experience, and I've shared this with you before, and, and I, I won't go into a lot more detail, but I, I was talking to you about a couple years ago when I went into the, to the in-service for the school district, and we had that speaker who was just blatantly disregarding, using the Lord's name of vain, vain and, and just blatantly disregarding everything uh, about that. I mean, just, just coming out and just at the top of his voice yelling God's name in vain. And, and I, I told you this before, I've shared this with you, where I just stood up just shaken because I never thought that in a public place like that, that that would ever happen. And I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I think that, and certainly not a lot of, uh, in my own experience, not a lot of pain went, I mean, other than emotionally thinking about that, but, but no one actually um, doing anything physically to me or anything. And yet, I was shaken to my core. And I think that it's things like that that help us to identify what's, what's, what's really down in the spirit of this psalm. And now, now just remember something. These are praise choruses. Think about that. We've gone through four of them now. Number 120, 20, 121, 122, 123 here. What's, what, sets them up, and what, what sets them apart from most of the praise choruses that we sing today is, is just all of the human emotion that goes into it. And I... I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but these songs are not cheerful, you know, hand clapping, you know, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hand. That, that's, not, that what, that's not what we see here. I mean, we tend to think of praise courses as, as joyful and upbeat, you know. 
Uh, the one I thought it was, I'm in, right, up, right, up, right, down, right, happy all the time. And that's what you think about. When you think of, I mean, Hebrew praise is just brutally honest. That's why we have so many psalms of complaint and psalms of lament, psalms that, that give voice to the, to the psalmist's despair and his discouragement, and, and even some song, song, psalms that express frustration when the, when the Lord delays to, to intervene on behalf of His people. people. Hebrew music, it seems, is often in a minor key. This psalm would sound right in a minor key. It's, it's a song of sorrowful praise. It even ends with a note of lament about the contempt of the proud. And yet sorrow is not the theme of this psalm. The theme of this psalm is humble faith. Did you notice that? This psalm opens with this expression of trust and reliance upon the one who is enthroned in heaven. I love that image. And that acknowledgement meant that, that God is enthroned in heaven. That really sets the context for the rest of the psalm. This is a song about the scorn and about the uh, contempt of arrogant unbelievers, but with the sovereignty of God in view. It's not a hopeless complaint, but an expression of the psalmist's conviction that God is sovereign, even when it seems that scoff scoffers have the upper hand. And don't miss this. In spite of everything, this psalm says about the relentless contempt of the proud, that there's no sense of, it, it, it says, um, there's no sense of, there's no sense of, of, of despair. There's no sense of hopelessness in this psalm. In fact, just the opposite. This psalm inspires resoluteness and perseverance. The psalmist simply says that when you're fed up, look up. Look up even when your circumstances tempt you to be discouraged. Now, I just, what I want to do today is just, and um, I, I hate to tell you this, we're, we're probably going to have a shorter sermon today. I mean, I, I wanted to put you in a little bit of despair. Um, just a couple of observations on this. I think that the first is really obvious. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That's really the perspective of this psalmist here. The opening verse makes this bold declaration of God's sovereignty, and that really sets the tone of this psalm. God is sovereign. He is on His throne. He is in control. And when we recognize that fact, that puts all the rest of us, believers and scoffers alike, in the proper perspective. And so what that means is if God is sovereign, if God is in control, if God is in, if He is on His throne, if God is sovereign, we're not. And so when the psalmist says in verse 1, he says, I lift my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in, in, is in heaven. The interesting thing about this psalm is that he is, he's actually speaking as a subject to a ruler. He's looking up to a 
ruler. And, 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 and because he is sovereign, you know, he's uh, maybe a, a, a more of a perspective is that as, uh, well, and he uses this in verse 2, as a slave to his master. And, and because he is sovereign, we owe him our absolute obedience. We owe him our absolute service. We owe him our, our loyalty. And, and, and then I, I, I kind of come to this, coming off of that and, and, and holding on to that idea that God is sovereign is this second thing, is that God is above all of his adversaries. God is above all of that. He is, he doesn't, they pose no threat to him. I think we see that in here. Now look at verse 2. Again, it says, as the eyes of the slave look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the, of the maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, I spent a lot of time with this this week because I realized that as soon as, that, as, soon as we see that, that, that term slave there in there, that language is really offensive in our culture today, in our modern culture, and rightly so. It is. Um, there's a lot of negative stuff that are tied to that word. In fact, some translations, maybe because they understood this, have translated this as, as the word servant. And you've got this, and, and yet you've got this image here. The word is actually slave, and it's, it's. There's a difference between a servant and a slave. The difference between that is that a servant gets to come and go as they please. The the the, the servant is one who can choose their employer and, and uh, choose to be employed by someone or not to be employed by someone. Those are some servant's choices. A, a slave doesn't get to do that. A, a slave is provided for. A slave is cared for entirely by their master, and the only choice that they have is to serve their master. Now, I, I, I look at that image, and I think of that image, and, and the problem that I have is that I've been wrestling with this you know, for most of the week is that we take our 21st century understanding of, of, of slavery and some of that, and we, we push that into the biblical thing. Now, no, no matter how you look at it, I, I don't believe that slavery is right. And yet the image here is not of a slave who is being tortured and hurt by them, but someone who is actually looking up to them. And in fact, the, 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 if, if you look at uh, it, this from a historical perspective, the... the uh, the difficulty that slaves, might, a lot of the, some of the, some and, and most, or a lot of the difficulty that they would have gone through is that they would have been hurt because of their master. People would take out their vengeance on the slaves to hurt the master kind of thing. And the image that you have here is that, if, as you read that psalm, is this someone saying, you know, what, what have we, uh, Lord, um, master, you know, have mercy upon us. Um, so, so as we kind of keep that in mind, the, 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 really the focus of this verse is this, and more specifically it's the, the last part of verse two, 2, is that, so our eyes, as the slave looks up to his master for their master, as the maid looks up to the, uh, to the master, or to the maid uh, looks up to the, to the one over her, for help, for encouragement, for for. Uh, understanding, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, until he shows us his mercy. See, that's really his focus here. It's this plea for mercy. This, this is not a prayer for, for justice, actually, against my enemies. Did you notice that? This is a request for for, for Lord, have mercy upon me. He, he doesn't ask God to destroy the enemy. 
Remember, people all around him are showing contempt for him. You know, there are some psalms, they call them imprecatory psalms. Now, whether we understand that term or not, we know what it is. These are psalms where, where, uh, where we ask, you know, the, the psalmist would just beg God for, for him to, to, to defeat, defeat his enemies, you know, rip their arms off or whatever. You know, we hear that, we read that in the psalms, it's like, and, and then he just, but what those psalms are like is he's asking God to do these things that we're like looking at and think, wow, that's pretty severe. What was the one we were talking about this week? Break the necks, you know, I won't go on. It's like, who talks like that? Well, we hear some of that sometimes. Do we mean it? And in an imprecatory song, what it is, is it's just like somebody who just says, God, I just wish that you would just, just smite them, almighty smiter, you know, kind of thing. You know, and you're just like, whoa. And then, but what he's doing is he's saying, okay, I'm leaving. I, there's nothing I can do. I'm leaving that in the hands of God. This is what I want, God, but I'm just... I'm giving it to you. There it is. And, and then he just walks away, and he knows that God's going to take care of it. God's probably not going to smite them. He's probably not going to break their necks. But I don't know what he's going to do. But it's just that that's what the kind of psalm. And, and, and that, there are some psalms that do that. God is going to take care of it, though, from here. But, but notice, this psalmist, he didn't do any of that. He's not saying, look at all these scoffers that are around me. I want you, God. I want... No, he is seeking relief for himself. He doesn't suggest that he deserves deliverance, but just the opposite. He just begs. He begs for mercy. And, and there's this attitude here of confession in, in verse 3. More specifically, it's just that feeling that, that we get when we realize that we're standing, we're looking up into God's presence, and we realize that, for, oh, wow, I am standing in the presence of this most holy God and I feel like, gosh, I'm, I'm realizing the sin that's really in my life. And do I really even have the right to ask what I'm doing? God, have mercy upon me. And I think if we're honest, that's not how most of us approach God in prayer. Am I right? But that's the approach of this prayer. This is a prayer of humility. This is a selfless prayer. Even though he is the one suffering wrongfully, he's in, despair, he's in desperate, desperation for, for relief. He's just desperate. And the psalmist understands that God is sovereign, and he knows that he himself is subject to the majesty, to the authority of his master, that he's merely a slave and with his eyes firmly fixed upon the master. I guess my point in all that is, is don't, don't, let's not put 21st century, the context of our slavery onto that, but recognizing what's happening as he's looking to his master for relief and realizing that he's helpless, but his master can help. And it, this is an acknowledgement of the fact that only God can help us. Remember Psalm 121, where the psalmist says, what did he say? I lift my eyes to the hills. And he says, where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from me. My help comes from the Lord. 
the maker of heaven and earth. There's, there's this acknowledgement that in, in his sovereignty that God is our only source of hope. And, and here in Psalm 123, the psalmist expressly recognizes that truth. He, he looks to his master for help. He looks to him for hope. He looks to him for, for protection and from, from this contemptuous environment. And we experience that. We know that that's all around us. We hear it every time we turn on the news. We hear it all around us. And maybe it hasn't affected us personally, but we see it and we hear it and it, it aggravates us. And it, there's this sense of dependency, though, in this psalm upon his master. And it's just this trust in, in his master's ability to be able to provide relief. relief. It's, it's, it's a slave's response to contempt from a world that is just becoming unbearable. You know, in Nehemiah's time, they would have been held in contempt by the people around them. That's when I think this psalm came from. If you think back to Ezra and Nehemiah, those, those, they, would have been, they would have been held, they were being held in contempt by the people around them because they were doing something that God wanted them to do, and yet the people around them didn't want them to do it. Remember what, remember what happened? Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The king said, you know what? Remember he was a cupbearer of the king? And God places this burden on his heart to, to, to go and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the king gives him permission. He goes and he does that. And he's working on the walls. And all the nations around him, they don't want him to accomplish that. They begin to, to jeer him. And, 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 and they come against him. They send threats. They mock him. They, they jeer him. And, and, and here he is. He has tools in one hand. He has weapons in the other hand. Right? I just can't think of a better illustration of, of, uh, than this man who's surrounded by his enemies and in one hand is, he's doing the work that God has called him to do and in the other end he's trying to fend off people trying to keep him from doing that. Here is a man who belongs to God. And I really think that that's the perspective that was made as this psalm was written. I mean, Nehemiah was hated not because he was rebuilding the wall. He was hated because he was obeying God. He was hated because of the God he served. And I think it's the same for us, isn't it? Oftentimes the things that, that happen to us are really because of our God. You mention a conviction in God and through his son, Jesus Christ, and you're kind of, people don't want to hear that. And, it's, and we are being shut down. You know, I, I was looking at this and I kept asking myself, what does this have to do with us today? How does this really apply to our lives? I mean, what's our response to a world that is, 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 is so full of contempt? Well, I can tell you a lot of responses, that, that, that a lot of ways that we've responded that I, I don't think are very helpful. You know? To start shouting and doing the same thing, to start shouting and screaming and hollering and and pointing fingers and, and like we see, I mean, it's kind of crazy out there. We live kind of in a divided country, too. Maybe it's this. Do you remember the first thing we said, God is what? Sovereign. So maybe it's this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Maybe it's just a call for us to realize who's really in charge in this world. 
I, I think that sometimes we attempt to try to take charge because we think that in, if, if we don't somehow step in that, that, that the world's going to go to hell in the handbasket. Well, maybe, maybe it's time for us to realize that he truly is in control. That in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of things that, 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 that uh, we may not fully understand those things, but to understand that we actually serve a God who does. I'm not saying we don't do anything. I'm just saying that we recognize that he is fully in control. We are not the savior of the world. Or, or maybe it's this. Humble yourselves in the eyes of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Maybe it's just the realization that it's really not about me, but it's all about him. Or maybe it's this. Set your hearts on things above where God is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Maybe, maybe we just need to be reminded that, that this world is not all there is. That if I keep my eyes on all the things that are happening around me and, I, and, and, and let those things just really get at me and bother me, then I really, I really am heading for trouble. And yet, if I, if I set my eyes on Jesus Christ, if I can rise above the problems of the world and the problems of, of the world around me, if I set my eyes on Jesus Christ, I can rise above all of that because my focus then is on the one who is truly in control. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to you, to you who is thrown is in heaven. And I think that that's our challenge. You, you, you get this picture of this, these people who are going, and what are they looking up to? Their source of hope. They know that. And I think that's our challenge, is to always be looking up to him. Let's pray. Father, I just want to just... Just acknowledge today that, that you are sovereign, that you are in complete control. And I confess to you that oftentimes that I try to fix the things that are around me and, and it doesn't really help maybe. So I pray, God, that you would, would help me and help us as, as, a, as a body of believers to, to live in such a way that we are honoring you. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't want us to be idle in the things that we do, but I also want us to recognize ultimately that you, in fact, are ultimately in control. I'm not asking God that you would help us to be inactive because we know that we need to be, we need to, to stand up and, and to share our faith and to do things like that. But I, I, I pray, God, that we would honor you in everything that we do. So I pray that as we leave this place that we would go out into the world recognizing that, that we have a strong advocate on our side. And that we're not fighting the world, but we're trying to reach the world and we're trying to share with them the hope, the only hope, that only, the, the only place that hope can be found is in, is, is in your son, Jesus Christ. 
And that's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.